What is good, everybody? I'm your host, Ryan McDaniel, and this is the Views from the 573 Podcast, where we talk about everything going on in the wide world of sports. And we got a lot to talk about here with this past weekend in football, with college football. A couple upsets happened, a couple games we talked about with uh, NFL. We got a lot of stuff here, including some injuries that happened here and, and some big-time injuries leading up to the trade deadline. Tomorrow, it's a big day tomorrow for both college and pro football with the first CFP rankings. And I'll give a little bit of thought as to what I think they're going to kind of look like when we get to some college football. But talk a little bit about that. And the NFL, the trade deadline is tomorrow. So this is a huge 24 or so hours here for NFL teams. If they want to find a deal, if they want to move off some parts, if some teams are sellers, and if some teams that are up, up at the top see a guy that they can go get, uh, so we'll see what happens here. Should be an interesting 24 hours or so here for the NFL. As always, if you haven't yet, be sure to go check us out where you guys get your podcast. We just uploaded our NBA preview. Charles and I sitting down talking about this upcoming season in the NBA. So if you want some basketball talk and get that fixed in, you can go check that one out. It's paired along with our preview for, from this past weekend in football. So if you want to check that out, go ahead and do so. And for entertainment, keep a reminder in here. Still a little bit ways away, but about a month from now, a little bit over a month from now, we'll be sitting down and doing our Christmas vacation pod. Yes, we're going to be doing a pod on something other than the stuff we usually cover on that channel and uh, it, it is Matt's wedding gift after having the Pixar tier list for Rebecca. We're doing that one for Matt, and it's going to be a fun one. So be sure to mark that one down your calendars. And uh, it, and when you get notified of the episode, if you haven't yet, again, go subscribe to the entertainment channel. So you'll be notified when that episode drops sometime early on in December. I believe we've scheduled a date, and so that should be coming out early December. So if you haven't yet, check us out on all the podcast platforms, YouTube channel, 573 Podcast, do all the YouTube stuff, and you can find myself on Twitter at RyanViews573 and the podcast account at 573Pods on X. I think I just said Twitter before when mentioning my handle, so it's still hard to remember that it's now just a single letter. I don't know why that's so hard to remember, but it is. But uh, let's get on to this week's show. And we're starting off with some baseball, with the World Series now knotted up at one game apiece with the first two games in Texas with the Rangers being the host team in this matchup, getting the first two games, splitting them with the Diamondbacks and heading back to Arizona for games three, four, and five, all being held here tonight with game three being the first one, of course. And then games four and five on Tuesday and Wednesday night with game four on Halloween. It should be a should be a fun one. Should be a busy day out in the desert. But uh, that's where the World Series is right now with Arizona and Texas splitting these two games and are heading towards a possible long series. I imagine this one is going to be a long one. And there's the possibility of a game six and seven if those do happen. It's going to be held this weekend with game six and seven going back to Texas and being held on Friday 
and Saturday night. But we're so long ways away. We're only two games in. And so uh, it should be a fun rest of the series. And uh, whenever me and Matt are taping our NFL midseason talk, I believe we talked about it being Wednesday night. So that should come out a little bit later on this week. Uh, I had to give him some props about this Arizona pick for at least being good. Going to give him his flowers for calling out the Diamondbacks and say, hey, these, this team is going to be good this year. So Diamondbacks, Rangers, game three tonight and game four and game five the next couple of nights as well. So if you want some baseball and, and get that fix in, well, you're in for a treat. You got three straight nights of that. So let's move on to some college football as we always do. And let's talk about what happened in week number nine. And boy, there were some surprises here, including one upset that broke a streak of 19 years. I believe we wrote down and, or not 19 years, but 18 straight, rather, of Oklahoma and Texas. And, you know, let's start there. We talked about that one. Oklahoma had won 18 straight all by double digits, and they were heading into Kansas, a double-digit favorite, and felt pretty good about it. They had a little bit of – there was a little bit of a worry here with how they performed against UCF, but they're coming in Kansas. They haven't lost to them since 97, I believe it was. And they had won 18 straight, all by double digits. And so, like, okay, let's see what happens. But give props to Kansas here. You know, Lance Leipold has done a really good job with that program, has really kind of gotten things steady over there and has gotten it to a respectable level. And I know Rebecca's not going to like me harping on how good Kansas football is right now, but uh, they've done a really good job over the last couple of years, and they got us some stability now with Leipold, and he's done a really good job over there. And they got the big-time win over Oklahoma. First win against them since 97. And so they did a little bit of Tennessee from last year. It's like, let's tear down the goalposts and throw them in the nearest body of water. Uh, probably not as epic as the other one, but, I mean, hey, since first win uh, over a team since 97, that sure, yeah. <laughs> it, it might be just as big as far as, like, how long it's been since they've been them. But uh, it was a great win by the Kansas Jayhawks. And I was only surprised when I saw it in the AP poll. But it, it doesn't matter since we're getting the CFP that they only went to 22. But uh, I imagine they are going to be moving up in the CFP rankings. And they'll be ranked a little bit ahead of that. So we don't have to worry about the AP poll for much longer, guys. We can throw that out here pretty soon. But great win by them in beating Oklahoma. And let's talk about Oklahoma here. You know, we talked about their defense a little bit last week and how it looked like it was getting somewhat closer to what Venables was wanting, what he had at his Clemson days. But it has kind of reverted back to what it was in 2022. And again, last year in 2022, sharp contrast to what they are right now. Last year, they were not great at all, giving up over 30 points per game, giving up well over 400 yards per game, and just were not good, especially on the defensive side of the ball. This year looked a little bit better on that side. Like, hey, maybe they figured some things out here. But in the last few games, they've kind of reverted back here to what they were last year. And in this game where Jason Bean, who was not really efficient, who did have a couple interceptions, you know, 
they ended up winning this game. Kansas ended up winning this game, and you can take a look. The rushing attack was really efficient. Bean did have a pretty good day on the ground. He had that big touchdown of 38 yards and had four carries for 62 yards and a touchdown. And then Devin Neal had over 100 yards and a touchdown as well. And so the running game really came to play in this one. Their run defense had for OU was not great. And it wasn't great for Kansas either. You know, OU ran for 269 on them. But Kansas, they created a couple turnovers, and Oklahoma did as well. But Kansas was able to do just enough, despite how Bean was not that efficient and turned the ball over a couple times, where it didn't matter. And Dylan Gabriel not was pretty efficient, 14-19, and 19, but didn't have the big-time stats that we've seen out of him this year. Only 171 yards passing and one interception. Now, he did run the ball for 14 times, 64 yards, and he did have three touchdowns. So he did have that. But as far as throwing the ball, was completely different than what we've seen over the last several weeks. And you look at how many yards Oklahoma ended up giving up to Kansas. And let's see, let's see how the math is. 443. In fact, about the total yards was about even for both these teams. And again, Oklahoma giving up this amount of this many yards and this amount of points is what they did last year. And it's what cost them last year and being not that great. And so now if you're Oklahoma, you have a critical game against Oklahoma State this week. Bedlam, the final one that we know of. And it is a huge game. Oklahoma State fans are going to, I mean, they would get up for this one regardless. But really, they're they're going to get hyped for this one because you know the thing about you know smelling blood, you know, with sharks and all that stuff. You know, they smell blood right now with Oklahoma. They they smell it right now. You saw what happened against UCF last week, and then you saw what happened with Kansas this past weekend. Oklahoma State, they're not looking too bad right now. The Big Twelve is honestly looking pretty good right now compared to a few weeks ago because Oklahoma State is looking solid. Kansas State after struggling early on in the season, is looking like it could really get back to the Big 12 title game should a couple games fall against Oklahoma and Texas. And so, like, things are, like, looking really interesting now for the Big 12. And so this one is a huge one for Oklahoma. And the final one, uh, final version of this game, of course it's going to be a big one. Wouldn't have it any other way. Big one for Oklahoma, but big one for Oklahoma State and what it might do to Oklahoma's Big 12 title chances and maybe potential CFP title aspirations. And also bragging rights as they head off to the SEC. You know, didn't think, don't think about that, but they would have that and hold that, that over the center. So Kansas gets a big win here. They get to six and two, three and two in conference as Oklahoma suffers their first loss of the season and suffer what Alabama did and ha- getting a goalpost. Uh, after their game getting thrown into a potty of water. So there was that game. Next one up, that was kind of surprising as well. Oregon, Utah. We talked about this one, kind of felt like it was going to be a battle of Pac-12 powers. Only one Pac-12 power showed up in this game, and that was Oregon. I think we need to start giving Dan Lanning some credit on what a great job he's done at Oregon as a young coach. Has really kind of turned that program into what, you see a lot of SEC teams being, and no surprise because he spent some time in the SEC, spent some time at Georgia, got an up-close look 
at what a dominant SEC program looks like. And there's some shades here of what teams in the SEC would look like. You know, offensive line, big, strong, physical. And then on the defensive line, same thing. But you got tough guys on the interior, big guys, 300 pounds and plus. And then you got a variation of guys on the edges, guys that are big and strong or guys that are a little bit more speedy, have more twitch them and can get after it on the edges. And they got that right now. They also got a good running back in Bucky Irving who played an amazing game this past weekend. And then Bo Nix. I mean, we talked about last week, the most experienced quarterback in college football history with the amount of starts that he's made. And that's it has all the ingredients of what you would see from a classic SEC team. Also, you know, a star wide receiver in Troy Franklin. He's kind of gone under my radar this year. He's been doing really good. He had eight catches for nearly 100 yards, was a yard short, and a touchdown in this game. But right from the jump, Oregon got all over on Utah on that first possession, and it was pretty much history from there. Jumped out to a 14-3 lead at Utah, really kind of quieted that crowd down. And We talked about how good of an environment that is at home for Utah. Quieting them down that early, that can that's big time. That's what good teams can do if you're on the road. And that's what you're told to take the opposing crowd out of it because the opposing crowd can make a huge difference. If you take a look at all the other all games in college football history that that ended up in losses for some big time teams, the crowds would make some difference in how teams played and like being able to hear the snap calls and all that stuff. And for Oregon going on the road against against a tough Utah team in a tougher environment, you need to take that crowd out the game early. And that's what they did. 14 points in the first quarter was up 21 to 10 at halftime. And Utah was really struggling to get anything going. It looked like the Utah team we saw against Baylor a few weeks back. But again, you got to give credit to Dan Lanning for the job he's done at Oregon and where Oregon is right now. 7-1, with maybe the best loss in the country against Washington. If any loss can be called the best loss, it's probably that. And they right now, and probably jumping the gun a little bit here, I think they could find themselves in the top six of the first CFP rankings tomorrow night. And, you know, let's go ahead and talk about it a little bit, I guess, since we're we're already at that point. But I think Oregon can find themselves in there. Washington, despite how they've kind of struggled, they're kind of like Oklahoma right now. After that big-time win against the Ducks, they've kind of struggled here a little bit. Barely scraped by Arizona State, and then they went on the road against Stanford. And, you know, Stanford has put up some gutsy performances. They've been okay at times this year. And Washington, they pulled it off late, scraped by on the road. So they've kind of been like Oklahoma a little bit in the Pac-12. But I think Oregon finds itself in the top six. Washington does. And then you look at everybody else, I think Georgia is up there. Michigan, despite the things going on with them, I think they're up there. Ohio State, again, I think they might be – Number one, it wouldn't surprise me if they're ranked number one tomorrow night. 
I'm I also wouldn't be surprised if Georgia's ranked number one tomorrow night. But I think Michigan, Ohio State, they're in there. And then Florida State is in there as well with how they play. They're still undefeated. They're looking like they're shoe in for the ACC title game right now. And they got everything in front of them. So I kind of think that's where the first CFP rankings, I think that's what they're going to look like and where they're going to go with it. And we'll see how it goes from there. But Oregon right now is looking like the best one-loss team in the country right now with how they played. And this dominating win over Utah really kind of showed it. That they're a physical team on both sides of the ball. They know Dan Lang knows what it takes to get to the top. He's seen it up close, and he's got Oregon playing like a top tier SEC team right now. And if they line up against the Georgia, who is a little bit different this year, it can really help Oregon out. Knowing what they know from landing and and building what they built over the last couple seasons here with them at the helm could really help them out. So Oregon gets the big time win, thirty-five to six, over Utah, and gets to seven and one. And went with Utah on that one last week, and well, we we know how it went. Those were the only two losses and the only two surprises uh, that we had here with Kansas pulling off the upset and Utah getting decimated at home. Did not see those two coming. Florida State at Wake Forest. Speaking of FSU. Uh, moving to 8-0 and on the season, 6-0 and in conference, and beating Wake Forest. The ACC race behind them is, has gotten a little bit more curious as to what's going to happen behind them because North Carolina's kind of, kind of tailed off here, and Louisville, Virginia Tech, and Georgia Tech, and as far as ACC standings are concerned, they're right behind Florida State. Kind of a little bit surprised I'm saying Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech are right behind them. But Duke is kind of falling off a little bit, as well as Carolina here. And you got a game against, you got a game with Virginia Tech and Louisville here, I believe this week. So that's a huge one as far as ACC title game implications. Is that a semifinal game, de facto semifinal game to get into the ACC title game? Because everybody else has fallen off, it seems like Duke, North Carolina, Clemson. Clemson's at four and four right now, and they've completely fallen off. So Florida State, top of the class in the ACC right now, and really awaiting their opponent for the ACC title game, at least at this point. Other games: Mississippi State against Auburn. Picked Auburn in this one to get their first SEC win under Hugh Freeze, and that's what they ended up doing getting the win at home 27-13. to Offense looked pretty good for the most part for Auburn uh, compared to how they have it in the past few games this season. But they get the win over Mississippi State, and they get to 4-4. Four and four. They just need two more games to get to uh, get the bowl eligibility. So not that too big of an ask, but you got to take a look at their remaining schedule and kind of figure out, okay, you know, could they make some noise here late? But Auburn gets a win over Mississippi State. Georgia at Florida. Let's talk about this one here. Georgia is kind of, you know, looking at, honestly, Georgia and Ohio State, taking a look at them, they're, they're kind of the inverse of what we've seen these last couple seasons. And we'll get to... Ohio State, Wisconsin here after them. 
But Georgia's a little bit different. The defense is not as strong as in years past. I mean, that, of course, not ex- unexpected. Look at all the talent that's now in the NFL, the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, everywhere else. And offensive-wise, no Brock Bowers, but Carson Beck is still making plays, made plays in this one. Ladd McConkey, now that he's healthy, looking like he could be a big-time factor in this offense. Oscar Delp had a Bowers-like catch in this game. You got Dominic Lovett in the slot producing some really big plays. Dejon Edwards has really been the bell cow running back of that of their backfield. And then Beck has just been back there making plays. He's thrown for over 300 yards in four of his last five games. And it's looked like a completely different offense from what we've seen the past couple of years. And, you know, with all these weapons making plays and with Bowers coming back down the line and we'll have to figure out when, could really, really make an impact on Georgia and, like, how teams scout them offensively in those big-time games in the SEC Championship and in the CFP. Because with how this offense is going without Bowers, when you get them back, it's going to be pretty scary considering how well they played against Florida on Saturday and winning 43-20. to And one was a late touchdown. So if you want to take a look at it in that regard, it was 43-13. to But all those guys I mentioned back in this game, 315 yards, two touchdowns, was really efficient in how he threw the ball around to all these different playmakers, 19 to 28. Then you take a look at the John Edwards, 15 carries, 96 yards, two touchdowns. McConkey, six catches, 135 yards, touchdown. Lavette had four for 83. They were they were just making plays. And then Florida on the other side of this, five and three. They come up the gate looking strong against Georgia. And it was 10 to 7 after the end of one. And then in the second quarter, Georgia scores 16. They get that block punt. They went for a safety. And now, before you know it, it's 26 to 7. And Florida ended up losing in this one. So Georgia, they still got the most talent in, in the country. In all likelihood, they do. But they look a, completely different than what we've seen in the past. And that can maybe make them a little bit more dangerous considering if once you get Bowers back on offense and how this offense is rolling, kind of scary. Then on the flip side, Ohio State, you think about how scary they've been on the offensive side of the ball here the last couple seasons. Going back to Fields last year, he had C.J. Strouds here the last couple of years. They've been scary on the offensive side of the ball. Having quarterbacks like that, having weapons on the outside, whether it's Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Orvin Harrison Jr., Abuka, they've had somebody out there. And you take a look at this team, it's, not, it's really different. The defense is winning this team games. It's doing really well. Running game is also doing really well, too. Now you got Trayvon Henderson back, who had a remarkable game. 24 carries, 162 yards, and a touchdown in this game as he made his way back onto the field. And that's another thing. Ohio State is getting healthier, too. They're getting those players back that we talked about. Henderson, Abuka, Burt, getting them back at at the right time here down the stretch. So it's kind of like, honestly, a little bit like how to invert my team in here, kind of like how Tennessee is, winning with defense and running the football. And that's what they've been doing here. And, you know, considering how Ohio State and how they've gone down and out th- these last couple of years, 
and looking at the Michigan game, maybe it's time to see if this version of Ohio State can go on and win the whole thing, can beat Michigan, unlike the last couple of years, can go into the CFP, win those games, and win the title. Let's see if this version of Ohio State can go out and win the title. Because the last couple of years, that version hasn't, despite how explosive they've been on the offensive side of the ball. And it's kind of different because he, looking at those quarterback situations, guys that win in the top half of their drafts and the defense while having a lot of talent has kind of strung along and you see what they do and hope they didn't give up anything big. It's kind of the opposite now because despite how solid McCord has been this, this year, this past game he did throw two picks, two, did throw two touchdowns as well. But they're not asking him to do a lot. And it's kind of the inverse of what we've seen. Didn't ask the defense to do a lot because, you know, the offense was going to put up points. Stroud was going to, or Fields were going to find those guys. Marvin Harrison Jr. was going to make incredible plays. Henderson, explosive plays in the backfield. You knew what you were getting into. But it's really different now. And this game against Wisconsin was kind of the epitome of that and how the defensive run game stepped up and really solidified this game, winning it by 14 points. And going to Harrison Jr. had an incredible game, 123 yards, two touchdowns on six catches. The defensive run game, it might be time to see if this version can win compared to the other versions that we've seen. So that's Ohio State-Wisconsin as Ohio State moves to a no, And again, they're heading down the stretch and they're getting – a lot more healthier getting those big-time guys on both sides of the ball back. So for Ohio State fans, that's good. And let's see if this version can be a little bit of a threat here to Michigan and and all those other teams in the Big Ten and potentially make some noise in the CFP. And again, I think they might find themselves number one tomorrow night, but we shall see. Texas, BYU, Texas, Malik Murphy starting this game. For the injured Quinn Ewers and Texas wins big 35 to 6. Dom Jonathan Brooks again has been an incredible replacement for Bijan this year for the Longhorns. Murphy did enough to get the Longhorns to win 16 25, 170 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick in this game. But again, did enough. The defense made some plays as well. And got the quarterback twice, had a couple of interceptions, and had a fumble recovery as well. So turnovers, solid QB play, solid running game, won the day for Texas as they got a big matchup this week against Kansas State. That's going to be a fun one as Kansas State is turning it on at the right time. Next one up, Louisville and Duke. Louisville winning this one. And talks about them briefly here. They're right behind Florida State right now. With a couple of these teams faltering with Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech now rising up and Georgia Tech beating Carolina this past weekend. Louisville, they got a good shot in, in Brahms' first year to make some damage here. They're 7-1, 4-1 in ACC play right now. And just shut out Duke 23-0. And uh, they're looking really strong right now. So... I think if you're a Louisville fan, I don't know if you saw this first season from Jeff Brom, but he's done a remarkable job with this program in just his first year. Next game up, 
Let's see. Oh, boy. Tennessee at Kentucky. Oh, boy. Uh, again, this team continues to find ways to win defensive-wise and running game-wise. And look, we talked about Kentucky's run defense. Tennessee ran all over it. They did the same thing a couple weeks ago to A&M. Had trouble against Alabama doing it. But they come back this week on the road. Solid performance. I think, there again, there's a couple things I could have done a little bit better. But overall, solid win. Didn't get a lot of pressure on Leary. And I'll give some credit to the what they said, the big, big blue wall. There were a couple of times like, mm, is that holding? Uh, I see a guy getting put in a chokehold like last week. But uh, the defense... I don't know if it was no Kamal Haddon in the backfield or if it was the coverage that they were playing, the type of style of defense. I don't know what it was. But the run defense, solid. Ray Davis held under 50 yards in this game. He's been amazing this year. And so I think maybe the game plan was just key in on him, stop them, and we'll let Larry beat us. And he almost did with uh, how he played. This was his best game of the season and surprise surprise i'm saying this again about the quarterback uh playing against my team but he was really good in 372 yards two touchdowns did not make a mistake in this game and was really efficient how he threw the ball out to all of his different receivers dinky dingle barry and brown uh, key and brown both had a touchdown and then on the tennessee side of things um looking at this Joe Milton maybe played his mo- his best game, I think, since potentially that uh, that Orange Bowl game against Clemson. 18-21, 228 yards, and a touchdown. And he only had 26 yards on the ground, but those were some – there were a couple big-time carries in there that he had that moved the chains. I think that can be what gets him going. And gets a running game going as well. But in this game, he made some passes on the run. Improvised a little bit. And Dante Thornton was the recipient of one of those catches who finally showed up eight games into the season. Better late than never. But he made some amazing plays. Squirrel White was good. Chaz Nimrod had a 39-yard touchdown pass from Milton. And then this running game again. Really, Jalen Wright and Dylan Sampson. Wright was a little bit nicked up, but had 11 carries, 120 yards, and that 52-yard touchdown. But Dylan Sampson on that really game-clinching drive to get the balls up, he looked a lot like Alvin Kamara. And wearing number six, of, of course, but like this guy is hes not built like Alvin but he's elusive and can break tackles like Alvin. And he did a lot of that on that drive here in in the fourth quarter. 17 carries, 75 yards, a touchdown. Also had four catches for 39 yards. But he was spectacular. And Tennessee, they move to 6-2 and 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 3-2 in conference. And Kentucky falls to 5-3. and And they got a... Tennessee's got an easy game with UConn. I imagine they'll go 7-2. They'll play some of the young guys. And then 
Mizzou and Georgia are coming up here in the next couple weeks. So there's a lot of interesting things that can happen here. And then finally, UCLA, Colorado here. Colorado falling to 4-4. Four and four. UCLA defense looking really solid here for UCLA as they made some big-time plays in this one. And they are now at 6-2, and 3-2 and two in the Pac-12. Garbers has looked like a, a better quarterback since they've made the switch. And so UCLA, not completely out of it. And they got their game against USC down the road. So we'll see what the Bruins can cook up here a little bit later on. Also, a game we didn't pick, Arizona, Oregon State, Arizona. Got to give credit to what they've done here. They're now 5-3 and three on the season, matching their win total from last year and are just one game away from bowl eligibility. So they've done a really good job here over the last couple seasons of building their program up. Remember, they almost went on the road and beat USC. And here they are sitting at 5-3, and three, game away from getting to a bowl game, and getting a three-point win over the Oregon State Beavers, putting them at 6-2. and two. So I believe that is it from all of college football. As uh, We got a really interesting slate of games this week. A couple big-time games in the SEC, Mizzou and Georgia. We got LSU-Bama. We mentioned Kansas State-Texas. Washington's going on the road at USC. Notre Dame-Clemson. Oklahoma-Oklahoma State, you got Bedlam there. Maybe the game of the week, though. I mean, Matt had to put this one on the slate. Iowa and Northwestern. Guys, the over and under is maybe the lowest over and under for modern college football. 29 points, 29 and a half. You heard that right. It's almost, this is, it's going to be college football's Giants and Jets game from this past Sunday. That's what it's going to be this week. Uh, 29 points, the over and under. My goodness. Uh, <laughs> uh, I imagine whoever takes the over on that is going to feel a little bit silly come Saturday when that game gets wrapped up. Uh, that is really low. <laughs> I did not see. I, I, I don't know if I could have seen an over and under get that low. But you know what? With Iowa Northwestern, maybe we should have expected it. So that is college football. Now let's go talk about some NFL, and we'll talk a little bit about that Jets-Giants game, even though we didn't pick it, because there was a lot of punts in that game. I believe it, what was it, like 24 or something like that I saw, um, and the Jets win in ugly, spectacular fashion as, of course, why, why not? But, man, uh, that one was an ugly one. So Jets end up winning that one 13-10. to 10 as Tyrod gets hurt in that game. And that's pretty much a big-time storyline this week in Week 8. A lot of injury concerns, particularly at the quarterback position. You got Kirk Cousins, who tore his Achilles, and his season is done. I don't know if he's going to get on the Aaron Rodgers treatment plan that he seems to be on, but that's a big-time blow for Kirk and Vikings fans. Because now the Vikings are four and four. They just beat the Packers. And you're like, well, what do we do now? Kind of. You know, if Kirk didn't get hurt, I imagine, you know, let's well, that plan to figure out 
for stuff down the road would be a little bit easier. But now, just got a lot tougher with this big time injury. And I don't know who the backup is. It might be Jaron Hall, the rookie, or somebody else. They might go out and get somebody in the meantime. Tanhill potentially. And uh, ooh, I just saw a, uh, I just saw a big trade that just popped up on the, on the ESPN bomb line. But um, yes, uh, Kirk Cousins, that's a big time loss for the Vikings, and you're still without Justin Jefferson here for a little bit, and so the Vikings are kind of left like, well, what do we do now? Then you got Matthew Stafford with him banging him banging up his thumb or one of his fingers against the Cowboys doing a Philly special play. So yeah, that happened. Kenny Pickett, game time decision for this week's game against the Titans as he got hurt. Tyrod got hurt in that game. Desmond Ritter, uh, I thought it was just a QB switch. And it turns out, you know, even though it might have been that, uh, suffered a concussion. So a lot of injuries going around in the NFL. Also, Kendrick Bourne, the leading receiver for the Patriots, he tore his ACL this week so i mean again a lot of injuries that are are causing a lot of uncertainty at the quarterback position and i wonder if there's going to be a team or two that's going to want to jump in and try to maybe make a move there but uh let me go find this trade because this just popped up and kind of took me by surprise by the name and we just talked about the giants here and let's pull this up as the giants traded Leonard Williams to the Seattle Seahawks. And we talked about the deadline getting here tomorrow. And the Giants traded him to the Seahawks for a 2024 second round pick and a 2025 fifth round pick that are heading to the Giants. And also the Giants are taking on most of the 10 million that is owed to Williams as well. And so the Giants traded one of their better defensive players. He was in the final year of his extension that he signed a few years ago. And now he's going to a Seahawks team that is going to have a little bit of boost here, I think, by adding a guy like Williams Pedigree on this defensive line and can really bolster this defense up a little bit. So big-time trade here happening here in the last few minutes. But uh, other than that, uh, again, injuries and a couple interesting storylines, including one I did not see coming. Guys, I honestly did not think we'd be in the timeline where I'd be talking about how good Will Levis played as a starting quarterback in the NFL. I didn't think we would have this timeline. I didn't think this was one of the many scenarios that we would have happen. And uh, here we are. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll get to that here pretty soon i think or should we just talk about it here you know it's one of the earlier games that we picked and uh went with the falcons on that one uh but bills buccaneers bills i don't know it, you know even with a win at five and three and you got the Bengals coming up and the Bengals are looking really hot right now uh, after their win over the 49ers and how burrow played and chase and everybody else bills they're going to need that win because right now that I mean even though they're sitting at five and three, Buccaneers almost got back in that game Thursday night. And really they shouldn't have. But the Bills, they claw away with the win. Cowboys and that defense demolished the Rams. It didn't feel like it was close at all. In fact, I think Fox cut away and it's like, let's go to Eagles and Commanders, in which that was a fun game. 
Commanders gave the Eagles another battle this year. The second time they've done that this year. And Sam Howe went off for nearly 400 yards and four touchdowns in that game. So let's get on into it and let's talk about this timeline we're in where Will Levis played good. And guys, I am stunned. I'm literally beside myself. I couldn't believe what I was seeing yesterday. Um, of course, they came out with the uh, Oilers uniforms with a nice little throwback there. The uniforms looked amazing, by the way. They looked awesome. And, of course, they come out with this little plan of having Will Levis and Malik Willis potentially spling snaps. And early on, you put Malik out there and botch snap by Brewer. Willis couldn't handle it. Fumble for the Falcons. Falcons only got a field goal out of it, so thankful for that. But right now, uh, in that at that point in that game, you know, I think fans were tired of the split and there were some boos against with Willis coming in. And I don't know if it's necessarily for him or if it's for the coaching staff and how Levis was playing up to that point. It's like, why do you take him out? Why do you stop that momentum that you have there and, and getting this guy in there? So if it's against the coaching staff, I get it. And if it, if it's against Willis, I get it even less. You know, it's like, I understand he isn't, the as far as what we've seen, the better of the two right now without both of them have played and what we've seen out of them. But, you know, it, it might just be a thing on, like, the coaching, the coaching staff is like, hey, yeah, we know you said you want to get him out there too, but right now this guy is playing amazing. We didn't think we'd see this. Get him back out there on the field. Maybe that's what it was. I, I'm not sure. But... Prompts Levis, he made plays. He probably only had one really bad throw that he really should have thrown to the ground. But he did that a couple times when things weren't there. Went to the ground when something wasn't there. I'm thinking back late in the game where there's a third down where he had to do that. But he looked like a competent NFL quarterback. And through four touchdowns and I believe is the only second quarterback to second or third quarterback to ever do that. And guess what? <laughs> the other guy as a Titan was Mariota. So it's like, well, that's kind of weird that we got two quarterbacks that are part of that, but he played well, established that connection to De- DeAndre Hopkins early on. And even if that might've been OPI, at, but that first one, he found him a couple other times. And that last touchdown, I'm still amazed that he, he was able to complete that uh, Westbrook Akine where rolls out, kind of throws against his body and kind of fades back a little bit, but just throws a perfect spiral for the touchdown there. And Titans hold off Taylor Heineke coming in, who played amazing in that second half. I was just picking that defense apart. And held off and got the win. And now they're at three and four. And Falcons are at four and four. And uh we me and Matt might talk a little bit about this as we get to the as we do our midseason part and uh talk about some of these teams. I, I honestly don't know where the Titans go from here. And they got this Thursday night game against the Steelers, and it sounds like Clavis is going to get the start here. And I'm curious if unless you know if they don't trade Tannehill, what's going to be the situation there when he gets healthy. Whereas, like, I don't know what to expect out of this team anymore. And I don't know what to expect out of them down the road with the future and, like, what their plans are with what they want to do with some of these guys. 
I honestly just don't know. So, yeah, we're in this timeline where Will Levis, the guy that I really didn't want us to draft, had a good first game. And listen, as much as I didn't want to draft him, I still want to see him do good. If he does good, great. Now, do I expect him to play like that every day or every game? No. Like, there's definitely going to be some rookie moments that happen. It's just that yesterday wasn't the the time, wasn't the game for that to happen. So, uh, yes, Titans move on, two, three, and four with that win. Vikings, Packers, we talked a little bit about that one with the Vikings getting to four and four, and Kirk with his terrible injury. They're now at four and four. The Packers are at two and five right now. Them and the Bears don't look good right now. <laughs> really don't. And uh, the Packers, I don't know that. I I imagine me and Matt will talk a little bit about them and talk about how things have gone over with Lambeau now in the Jordan Love era. And, you know, he had a couple good games early on, but after that, it just hasn't been all that great for the Packers. They're now two and five. They're one and two at home. And looking at the Vikings, they're three and one on the road. And so they've been, they've been going on the road. Packers, man, it's been a struggle. And they're now two and five. And if the one for the Bears being the Bears, I mean, who knows? <laughs> Packers might be at the bottom of the division. But pa- Packers fall to two and five. Vikings four and four. Jaguars at Steelers. Went with the Steelers on this one. And we mentioned Kenny Pickett gets hurt in this game. And we'll have to see what his status is for Thursday night. But Steelers lose 20 to 10 at home. Speaking of the, the teams being good on the road, Jaguars four and oh. Uh, on the road. I don't know if that includes the London games or not, but uh, they're 6-2 and two right now. Lawrence, decent game, even though he threw a pick, 392, one touchdown. Ingram, solid day. ETN had a solid day as well, rushing the ball and receiving, who had a big touchdown catch that, that was 56 yards and then got the touchdown as well to go along with that. So he had himself a big day, and then as far as the Steelers, Kenny Pickett was okay. He was 10 of 16, 73 yards, did have a sack. But then Trubisky came in, just did not that great. Running game was not great. Warren or Harris did not have great games on the ground. Deontay Johnson was the star receiver. Pickens had the lone touchdown of the game for the Steelers. But uh, it was not a great game from them. So Jaguars go to 6-2 and two with the 20-10 and 10 win, and, and the Steelers fall to Four and three, and they got another home game coming up on Thursday night. So we'll see if they can split these home games on a short week here this week. Panthers, Texans, and talk a little about this one. And you know, I didn't think about it. You know, it's the mad. It was the game where the top three picks were playing in this game, and I had the Bryce and CJ matchup on my mind, but I forgot. Hey, Will Anderson plays for the Texans too. And so you got the top three picks playing in this game. And I'm not sure if that's ever happened before in the NFL. But the Panthers, they get their first win of the season with a clutch field goal, walk-off field goal, 15-13. to 13. Bryce played solid in this game. You know, looking at his stats for this one and how he played, he threw for 235. And looked pretty solid throwing the ball out there. And Stroud 
looked solid as well. Probably a little bit less solid. 16 to 24, 140, and no touchdowns or picks. Running game wasn't all that great, even though Stroud did run for a touchdown. But uh, yeah, Bryce, you know, he took six sacks, which is not great, but it was 22 to 31, 235, and a touchdown on the day. And that went to Tommy Tremble. And looking at some of these other stats, I mean, looking at both the defenses, again, the Texans defense, they showed up. And I'm looking to see, you know, number three pick Will Anderson didn't have a sack. Did have a tackle for a loss, but it was Malik Collins, Jonathan Grenard, Cashman, Denzel Perryman. They all got in on the action and got all sack happy. But that was the Panthers getting their first win of the season. And they probably want to get a few more of those wins so they don't have to think about the NFL draft and saying, oh, man, we just gift drafted the Bears another top five pick. So uh, probably best to try to go and get some wins here to make sure that doesn't happen and you don't have that conversation at the end of the season. Looking at some of these other games that we picked, Browns at Seahawks, and this one went right down to the wire. And probably not one that, you know, if you're the Seahawks, Geno threw a couple of bad balls in this game. And and if you're a Seahawks fan, you're like, oh, crap, this one is going right down to the wire. But the Seahawks end up winning this one at home against the P.J. Walker-led Browns and winning it by a score of 24-20 on a late touchdown to D.K. Metcalf with Geno. Again, did throw, did throw two picks, and he did throw two touchdowns as well, 254 yards through the air on a 23-37 passing. And Kenneth Walker-Charbonnet split the carries pretty much, but Lockett, Metcalf, no, Lockett did get the touchdown. I thought Metcalf got the touchdown. I was listening to the radio, and they did say Metcalf, so that's my bad. Uh, Lockett did have the touchdown. Jackson Smith and Jigba had the touchdown. Uh, other touchdown from Geno. I believe that was late. And looking at this defense, well, the Seahawks defense just got a little bit better by adding Leonard Williams. But they had three sacks, forced a couple of interceptions as well. And Seahawks defense comes through here and holds off the Browns here. And now the Seahawks are the top of the NFC West. And that is a really uh, – uh, uh, that's a thought I don't think we would have had a few weeks ago considering what we saw out of the 49ers and the Cowboys. And speaking of the Niners, we talked about how important this game was going to be and how it was important for both these teams, for the Brown, for the Bengals and the 49ers. And – for the Bengals, they, they're they looking like themselves more and more each week. Joe Burrow, he's looking like he is getting closer to 100% if he's not at that point already. And he comes out yesterday and does really well against this 49ers defense, which looks like a shell of itself from what we saw, what we've seen earlier in the season and how they were playing. They just don't look like what we've seen. And looking at Burrow's stats, 28 of 32. And you think about that one and doing the math there, you know, 28 of 32, that's a, a completion percentage of over 80%, well over 80%. 283, three touchdowns. Mixon had a solid day on the ground, uh, but Chase 
10 catches, 100 yards, and a touchdown. Higgins, solid day with 69 yards. Boyd, 40 yards, and a touchdown. They looked really good. And then on the defense side thing, they did force a couple interceptions of Purdy. And Purdy has not been great with protecting the ball here recently in his last few games. And this game, he threw two picks, even though he did throw for 365. And other than those two picks, pretty efficient, 22 or 31. But again, he's been a guy that has thrown a lot of interceptions here in these last three losses that they've had. And the offense has not looked great here. And the Vikings, remember last week, you, you know, beat down the 49ers, and then here we have the 49ers coming back home, and Bengals beat them by 14 points at home. And so 49ers are in a precarious situation here, losing three straight in, in the way they've had. I mean, the Browns won. I mean, couldn't really see that one coming, but these last two have been really kind of eye-opening here as we're at the midway point of the season them saying five and three and a few weeks ago we were talking about them as being one of the best of the best in the league and now here they are five and three and they're now second in their division behind the seahawks and again Bengals, they're looking high at the right time burrow doing what he does and if he if he's at a hundred percent right now then the Bengals are right where they need to be. And after how they performed these last couple games, yeah, that, they might be getting ready to go on a little bit of a roll here if if everything is as it seems right now for them. But there is that game out in the Bay. And then we had the Chargers and Bears last night. Not really too much of a contest here for the Chargers at home. And you probably really need that after how last week went against you with the Chiefs winning 30-13. to and Herbert having a solid game, nearly going over 300 yards, three touchdowns. Eckler, not huge in the running game, but in the passing game, leading receiver, 94 yards and a touchdown with Keenan, with Quinn Johnson, both behind him, Barham getting a touchdown, and the Chargers defense getting a couple picks off of Bajent and getting a sack. So they looked a little bit more normal here and forced a couple fumbles, even though it didn't recover any of them. But Chargers get the easy win at home, thirty to thirteen. Probably again, probably needed that one to get things, you know, back to feeling good for the Chargers as they're now three and four. And the Bears are at six and two. And the Bears, I wonder if we're going to get get to talk a little bit about the Bears right now because the Bears are going to be in an interesting spot if they continue to do bad and the Panthers continue to do bad. And you don't know when Justin Fields is coming back and he had Bajet here. Of course, getting the win last week and then this week is like, okay, like, uh, meh, you know. So, Bears, interesting conversation there with how the rest of their season plays out here at two and six and with them potentially having two top five picks. Like, okay, what do you do now? Do you, I think you're going to need to know if Fields is the guy here whenever he gets back. And if he comes back and he plays well, then it's like, okay, well, then we have these two first round picks that are gonna be ranked in the top that are gonna be in the top path of the draft. Let's go out and help him out. Let's go get him some help on the offensive side of the ball. Let's go get him some more offensive line help, more wide receiver help. And they did that last year, and maybe they do it again this year. 
So that is where we're going to end up with this recap, everybody. That is the NFL and college football in the books for week eight of the NFL and week nine of college football as we head into week nine of the NFL and week 10 of college football. And we'll talk a little about a bit about anything that's happened with the trade deadline. I assume if anything happens between now and Wednesday night, and then I'll probably do a little bit of a college football playoff rankings, a little bit of kind of a recap. If that's the case, we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on in the week, whether that be Wednesday and that pod come out Thursday or we'll, or do it Friday. And as we get ready to talk about this upcoming week, again, college football live games coming up this week that are going to be big time and determining how the rest of the season goes. A couple big time SEC games, same with the big 12, a big time Pac-12 game in USC Washington. So it's going to be a fun week to kind of preview later on this week, but that'll do it for us here. Everybody. Again, if you haven't yet, be sure to go check us out on all podcasting platforms. Be sure to go check us out on YouTube and subscribe and share with your friends. And on Twitter or X, did it again. Uh, find me at Ryan Views 573 and find the podcast account at 573pods. But thank you guys for listening to this pod. Again, we'll be back a little bit later on in the week talking about everything that's going to be happening this weekend in football and see where the World Series is at and see if we have a new champion or if we're going to be having a six or seven game series. But until then, everybody, have a good rest of your day. Have a good rest of your week. We'll talk to you all next time.